Well, we were studying and began a series last week called The Promises of God. And last week we looked at just sort of an overview of the promises of God and I think something that should encourage us and motivate us. But there are lots of promises in the Bible and some of those promises that readily come to mind, some maybe are lesser known. And we'll look at sort of some of the very familiar things and maybe some that are a little more obscure as we go through this study. But um, we're going to begin reading in John chapter 20 and in verse 31. And I'm going to read this and then I'm going to uh, um, just pause and we'll, we'll begin our study here on this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the word of God And as we study this topic tonight of eternal life and the promise that you give us life eternal, oh Lord, help us to have that seat in our, sit in our hearts and just as we dwell on those things, Lord, help us to be reassured and thank you for the Bible that, that teaches us these things. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a little girl who was in school and she happened to be talking to her teacher and the teacher was telling her about whales and the little girl said, well, I know about whales. I learned about whales in Sunday school and I know that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher kind of laughed at her and said, well, whales cannot swallow people and certainly um, that isn't a story that really happened and she was kind of critical about that and the little girl sort of said, well, you know, yes, it is. I mean, that is something that happened. And I know because we learned it in the Bible. And the, the teacher said, well, um, you know, and the little girl said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah himself about it. And the teacher kind of rolled her eyes and she said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And the little girl said, well, then you can ask him. Oh, and, you know, the thing about that is it's like, Sometimes children have a more set heart on the things that are true than some of us adults, right? And they can grasp the simple truths of the promises of God and can hold on to those things in firmness and certainly can know those things. And um, honestly, this whole idea of, of eternal life, that little girl, if that story really is true or whatever, it's a parable of a such, um, had more of an understanding of uh, heaven and eternal life than maybe her teacher did uh, in those things. And I want to say that we live in a, a culture today that when you come and you say this is truth, it, it is already suspect, right? And especially when you're dogmatic about something and you say it's absolute truth. And we live in a culture that says, no, that can't be. And that's why they put the little personal pronoun, my truth or your truth, right? And really, it's truth, whether it's my truth or not, you know, it's truth. And that's the idea of when we come to scripture, God presents truth and we have to believe it or not and obey it or not. And when we come to the topic of eternal life, when you come to John's gospel, and in chapter 20 here, it says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That life is not just the life here and now, which just by testimony tonight has benefited all of us, right? Um, talking about how 
having long marriages that maybe wouldn't have been very long hadn't the Lord intervened in your marriage. Uh, and the blessings of walking with the Lord for decades. And that's a great, great truth. But it's not just this life. It's also eternal life. And the promise that God has given us in eternal life or for eternal life in that. And uh, the idea here is, as we go down through this, we're going to look at this because, you know, we live in a world when it comes to the topic of heaven and how to get there. And, and if you're going there... People are very suspect about people that are dogmatic about that. Like, I know that I have eternal life. And I think it was taught to many of us as youngsters that it was presumptuous and even sinful to, to think that you could for sure know you're in heaven or going to be in heaven. And uh, I think that's to the exclusion of what the Bible says. And in particular, um, we're going to look at John's writings tonight and the things that are there because I believe that tonight, as a Christian, you can say, I know I have eternal life. Um, and you may not say that, but you can. You could if you know him. And I hope this study helps drive that a little further home uh, as we look at it. If you ask people, um, do you think you're going to go to heaven after you die? And some might say, well, I hope so. I, I think so. Uh, if I'm good enough... Uh, they, or that some might be dreadfully honest and say, no way. I've had people say that. Like, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And they say, no way. I know my life. I'm a great sinner. And I often ask, why not? Why, why not turn and go the other way and follow the Lord? But there are really four possibilities related to this whole idea of eternal life. And this idea of being saved or lost. And that's what the topic we're going to look at tonight. And there's these four things that come out of this whole discussion. And it's this. There are those that are lost and know they're lost. And you might say that really that's tragic. If you know you're on your way to hell and you're lost and you, you know all that, but yet you don't reconcile with God, that's just tragic. And there are people that that's the way they are. I often think of the two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus and both reviled him uh, in the beginning of that ordeal. But by the end, one looked to him by faith. The other did not. What a tragedy. One had the assurance of being with Jesus in paradise that day. And the other one died without that assurance on his way to hell. Wow. Then the secondly, there's... Those that are lost but think they are saved. We know a lot of people like that. They are lost and yet they think, well, I'm a good person or I've, I'm certainly better than most. And if maybe only half the population is going to get into heaven, well, I must be in that half. You know, or they make those kind of discussions. I know I kind of thought that way before I was a Christian, before I understood these things. And then that would really be dangerous if you think of that. Because... There's nothing more dangerous than to be in danger of going to hell. And actually, just like that, you know, I think of it like picturing it as a, a frozen lake, you know. And you walk out on a frozen lake and you think the ice is thicker than it really is. And you're skating on thin ice or walking on thin ice. And that's dangerous. And it's one thing if someone said to you, oh, don't worry about that. There's three feet of ice out there. When there wasn't, there was just an inch of ice. And, you know, you go out there and 
and, and you're in danger of falling through and drowning in those kind of things. And it's far greater when people uh, leave their eternal destiny like that. Someone might come along and say, oh, you're in a lot better shape than you think. You're okay. I'll, I'll tell you, you're on your way to heaven because there's many ways of heaven. And yet they are dangling over hell at every heartbeat. That is dangerous. To be saved and not know for sure. There's a lot of people in that category. Sometimes that happens to doubts arise in the hearts. And probably if all of us were honest with ourselves in this room, there's been times in your life you've, you've doubted and you wonder. But if you remain in that state of doubt and worrying, I would say at best it's just very unsettling. And that's not how the Lord wants us to live. He doesn't want us to live in an unsettled kind of faith, but rather something that is sure. Now, to be saved and know that you are saved or know that you are secure, I find that very comforting. And that's really the fourth part of this argument of salvation, of of the different categories of people that are out there. There are those that know they have eternal life. And that is very reassuring and that's really where god wants us to be to be reassured in those things and he has not left it just to the preacher to come up with that he's left it with the word of god and he settled it and it's interesting now the book of john the gospel according to john is the and and the there's two writings of john or two categories of writings you have the gospel of john and then you have the epistles of john and particularly the gospel of john tells us how we can be saved it's the book that I would say, if you're going to start a Bible study, you go to the Gospel of John and you begin there if you know, someone's not a believer. And because over and over again, you're challenged on this whole idea of eternal life. And then 1 John is the book that really gives us the assurance of salvation to understand that we can know we have eternal life. In um, the Bible, there are 42 instances of the phrase eternal life. 22 of those instances appear in the Gospel of John and in the Epistles of John. And so, um, in actually, just the first, those two books, not even 2nd and 3rd John, but 1st John and the Gospel of John. And that just tells you that there was a big theme with John when he wrote, and the Holy Spirit breathed out his word through him. I'm going to read some familiar verses. If you know the Gospel of John, you know these verses. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How about John 3.36? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. By the way, I see in that verse right there, it's really not just that verse, there's many verses like this, where you see the, uh, the, the sovereign God who reaches out with the gift of salvation, and you see the will of man who says yes or no. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That takes volition. That takes a will to believe. There's an act of the will. Whoever does not obey 
By the way, that is also a will. And God looks at the state of unbelief as a disobedient state. When he says, those that don't obey the Son shall not see life. There are those two ways. Yes, I believe, or no, I do not. And we are born and and we are in this world already in a state of condemnation. Not because God's condemned us, but because our sin has. We violate a holy God. Not because God did not choose us, but because I sinned and fell short of the glory of God. God chooses us based on volition of faith in him. He's the chosen one. And I, I just say that because that aspect of salvation, very important. And it's also something that should secure us when we think about it. Um, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a state of unbelief. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. What a wonderful promise with that. John 6, 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That's just from the gospel of John. You see this idea of belief and this idea of him providing salvation. And it's not a salvation that, um, it's not like like here, it's a salvation that brings life out of death. He doesn't turn around and say, okay, that's enough. I'm going to let you die again in your sin. See, he either paid for our sins in full or he didn't. And that's really the question that sits out there on the table tonight in that. He is the one and we are to follow him. Um, I love what uh, that passage we just read there in John chapter 10, where he talks about being the the sheep or the shepherd. He says here, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. <clears throat> Go on YouTube and search um, sheep hearing the voice of a shepherd or something like that. You'll find all kinds of little examples of uh, sheep and shepherds and farmers and others that have sheep and them demonstrating how sheep will follow the shepherd. And really that's how they are. Now, not all sheep like to follow the shepherd. They're like people sometimes they hear the the voice of the shepherd but then they think well it's really grass grass is really good right here i don't really want to go where he's going you know and i think that is probably very emblematic of all of us too um in that way but one thing that sheep will not do is follow the voice of a stranger a stranger walks up to a flock sheep and they will run away they don't like strangers but when you're his He's able to call us. And you know, I thought about that whole illustration of earthly shepherds and our heavenly shepherd. For instance, the Lord is our shepherd, right? Psalm 23, and it says that. And uh, as a matter of fact, I have that right here, but it's always good to, to look at Psalm 23. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that eternal life? He's talking about that. Life that begins here and continues for all eternity with the great shepherd. And I thought about that, the Lord, who is different than David the shepherd, for example. David, who wrote that psalm, he's writing it from the perspective of a sheep, not the shepherd. Although he was a shepherd, he understood sheep. He's really understanding it from their perspective. And the Lord, who is the one who, uh, by the way, as you compare it to an earthly shepherd, a human, you know, I say a human shepherd that is a sinful human, right? Um, we get tired and we can't always watch the sheep. The shepherd has to sleep sometime. And it's possible that when the, that shepherd is sleeping, well, something comes along and either steals the sheep or eats the sheep or kills them that happens aren't you glad that you have the lord who never sleeps or slumbers shepherd can't see every sheep at any given time it's very possible if you had a a big range where they were kind of you know going out the flock was spread out and and maybe there's a few sheep over that little knoll and another one over here and one down there in that little ditch and you can't see what's going on down there but aren't you glad that the lord sees all that's our shepherd Sometimes the shepherd might not be there to call the sheep. Aren't you glad that the Lord is able to call us anytime and we're there? And just like Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Right? I'll feel no evil. I'll fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That even if I was to go through the very aspects of of the death process or having the impending death or some dangerous situation where you feel like this is it, God's with us. What a shepherd. I think John chapter 10 and Psalm 23, when you take those two things together and you realize you are secure, not based upon being a sheep that wanders or get stuck somewhere or whatever else you're there because the shepherd is a holding is holding on to you is there with you he'll never leave us there are seven observations from john chapter 27 there or john chapter 10 that is verses 27 to 30 first of all true sheep listen to and follow the lead of the shepherd you see part of that process of the fact that he saves us, he gives us eternal life. He also gives us ears that become opened to his voice. That doesn't mean we, we don't get straying and listen to other voices. Sometimes we do. There's a lot of voices in the world. <laughs> and if you want to listen to those, you'll head off that direction. But he's there. And he all of a sudden opens your ears of understanding and your eyes to see him. You cannot expect those who are not his sheep to hear his voice. That's why the Bible says that 
It's foolishness to them who are perishing or do not believe, right? Because these things are spiritually discerned. And that is why we need to uh, have spiritual ears. And he is the one that begins that process in us, doesn't he? Glad that he is such a God. The true sheep listen to and follow the lead of the shepherd. And then secondly, Jesus knows who are his. I don't. Um, it's very possible, and this happens because, like, I've, you know, I've never had sheep as a hobby or anything like that or been a shepherd that way. But I've done some reading, and sometimes a shepherd will go buy a bunch of sheep from another shepherd or something like that or, or get some new lambs or whatever, and they are introduced to the flock for the very first time. And they don't really know what they're doing, these sheep, because they don't know that shepherd and they don't... But by being around those other sheep, they begin to understand the voice they're supposed to listen to. And they begin to take on that and eventually become part of that flock. And I think of that with us. As people come in and mingle within the flock, right? Are they hearing or looking at sheep that are following the shepherd? Second Timothy 1.12 I don't know if I wrote that in there. I don't think I did. But in 2 Timothy 1.12, where Paul says, I'm convinced. He says basically this, that I'm, he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day, right? He's able to keep that which I've committed against that day. Think of that. I'm glad he's able to do that. That's a security thing. Eternal life is a gift given by the Savior. And... My salvation, your salvation does not depend entirely on what, um, what I have done, doesn't at all. It really has everything to do with what he has done. He has given us that gift of eternal life. When you read in that text that we read where it says, <clears throat> no one is able to snatch them or pluck them out of my father's hand. In the Greek, that's a double negative that's used there. It's, uh, and when it's, it later it says, um, and they shall not perish in that. And in other words, he, we can't be taken out, snatched out. We can't be sno- stolen from anyone, from him. And I'm thankful for that. We were in Romans uh, chapter 8. Yeah, see if I can find that one. In Romans chapter 8. We were just here a few weeks ago, weren't we? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And when we went through this, we were talking about that very fact. It's God who saves. He's the one who justifies. It's the Lord who has died for our sins. I might come along and say, Joe Bossy, you're not a Christian. 
I, I could say that, right? I mean, I just did. I said it. Who is Jack Karen to condemn? Christ died for Joe Bossy. And I know Joe. He knows he's a Christian. I'm thankful for that. I'm picking on you tonight. Sorry. But I don't care if some preacher comes along and says, Oh, I, by the way, you're not a Christian. Well, if you are, if, you've, if you're saved, guess what? Nobody can condemn you. Satan himself could not come and condemn you. It's Christ who's justified us. It's Christ who's died. Someone says, but, but I, I, I heard him sin or say something that's sin. Or I saw that guy sin, whatever. You'd say, wait a minute. Christ died for that. It's paid. Paid in full. And he's risen. He's at the right hand of God. He intercedes on our behalf. Thankful he does. I have an advocate who is Christ Jesus the Lord. He goes on to say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And may I just add a little paraphrase. Who shall separate us from eternal life, which is the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's the worst thing that could happen? Somebody comes and kills you, snuffs your life out here, and you just will immediately graduate into the very presence of God in a, in a state you'll be more alive than ever before. Wow. That's being a more than a conqueror. He's great. 1 John 2.25 And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. And then John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. The word testimony there, it's the same word that is used in a court of law where someone comes and brings testimony. In other words, they bear firsthand evidence, personal evidence, on behalf of the court. And those are the, you know, hopefully if they're a reliable witness, that's the best kind. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's what John says. That's the evidence. That's the facts. He goes on to say this. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life, right? Just what he said in, in his gospel. That if you have the son, right, you have eternal life. If you don't, you perish in that state of unbelief. And then verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. You see, I, I like that verse because it, it's, it adds the permanence of the word of God. John writes and he says, these things I've written. When you write something down, it's a lot more permanent than just speaking it. Um, and I understand that that's necessary too. But when you see it in writing, 
you know, I think it was um, uh, George Sweeting of Moody Bible Institute. In one of his books, he talks about that idea of salvation. And he said it's like um, a prisoner who had a life sentence or something like that, or maybe even on death row. And that prisoner is in the prison, and all of a sudden, his guard comes in, hands him a piece of paper. And on that paper, it's a pardon, an unconditional pardon signed by the governor of that state. Governors have that power to pardon, and presidents do too, under our legal system. And he hands him that paper and says, you're, you're pardoned. You, you now can go home, get out of jail, get out of prison. Now, if you were to stop right there and ask that prisoner who has now been pardoned, and you say, do you feel like you've received a pardon? Um, he might say, well, <laughs> not really. I, I mean, this has just sort of been thrown at me. I, I didn't know this was coming. Uh, I'm not really sure what I think. But then he looks down at that piece of paper and he, it says unconditional pardon signed by whatever authority, the governor, the president. It's possible that one of his buddies in prison says, I hear you got a pardon. You know, or maybe he heard about it first. He comes to him and says, hey, you've been pardoned. And it doesn't, again, his reaction might be different. It might be like, well, I don't know if I've been pardoned. I can't really tell. And I don't know why I would be pardoned. I mean, I might, that guy probably in there for what he did. But then he looks down at that piece of paper and he sees that indeed he's been pardoned. And, and God didn't just tell us that he's pardoned us and justified us, forgiven us. Justification goes farther than a pardon, right? Justification means just like you've never sinned. Given the righteousness of Christ. And we look at the word of God and we say, you know, sometimes I don't do this Christian life thing very well. It's been a bad day. Been a bad series of days. I don't know if I'm a Christian. But I look at the word of God and it says I'm pardoned because you paid the price for my sin. You justified me. Lord, I don't know why. I don't know all the details with that. But you did it. Thank you, God. Thank you. And John goes on to say, and that you may continue, or the idea of continuing, it's in italics there, it's not in the original language, but the verbiage is, to believe in the name of the Son of God. It stirs us up to believe. Present tense, future tense. Keep going. We need that. Because let's be honest, this life sometimes gets discouraging. And when you see sin arise in your life and and then you deal with it and it comes back again and it's again and it's again and you have to stop and say but lord i'm going to repent and keep going and the bible tells me that it's worth it and i keep believing not based on me based on him and that makes all the difference truths the word testimony is used here and as i said it's the idea of a witness bearing testimony in a courtroom. The picture is God is the witness and he stands declaring that eternal life is found in his son. No greater witness than that. Love it. God wants us to know for certain so that you may know. I love that. You may know. By the way, that word know 
it appears 39 times in the letter here, 1 John. Think of that, 39 times. Settling assurance. Well, the question goes, can I lose my salvation? And certainly, there are people that hold to that. And and believers that hold to that. And I say believers, it's a shaky feel <laughs> um, in that. I think you have to rest in the word of God. Things like Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The work is his work and he's working it out. Ray Pritchard points out, that there are great there uh, there's a great danger in believing that you can lose your salvation and i like what he he points out in that 10 things quickly he says this if you believe that it leads to excessive introspection frustration fear and guilt and and that's what it does it leads you to this always oh no am i good enough it strips you of the certainty of forgiveness and christ has forgiven us. The Bible says that. It tends to produce more fear as death approaches. It produces a legalistic kind of faith where you are saved based on what you do and the actions that you do and if you're a good Christian or not a good Christian. Legalistically. It takes the focus off Christ and it puts it on your performance. I think if you focus on Christ, the performance follows. But if you focus on yourself or others, it, it, you get your eyes off Jesus. And when you get your eyes off Jesus, it's a, it's a tiring world. <laughs> Number six, it may lead to despair and an abandonment of the faith altogether. It could make you hypocritical of others whose faith you doubt. It also, number eight, keeps you from growing because you think you need to get saved over and over and over and over again. It makes the Christian life an unstable roller coaster of ups and downs. And then tenth, it takes the good news out of the gospel because you can't be sure about anything. And that's true. And I'm not making light of that. A lot of people live in that state of always doubting. And the Bible says these things are written that you may know. I love it. It dispels those doubts. The opposite of those things that Ray Pritchard talks about is this. Number one, put the focus of salvation where it ought to be, on God and not us. Number two, provide a way to live with new confidence. Number three, it gives real hope at the moment of death when you believe in the security of the, of the believer based on Christ. It gives us proper motivation to pray for sinning believers. It builds the Christian life upon love and gratitude, not doubt and fear. Produces a, six, produces a, love, a life of love, faith, and obedience to God. Number seven, it puts the good news back in the gospel. Number eight, it helps us get back up when we fall because we don't lose our salvation when we stumble. Number nine, points us toward heaven 
and to our eternal rewards. And then number 10, it helps us live on mission. Living on mission with purpose gives us that as saved sinners. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Living on mission. You know, I have um, in my you know life, as I look back at stuff, there have been people that were key people in my life. And there's one guy I haven't told any of you guys about. I don't even know if I've told my wife about Jack Jones. Jack Jones. He was uh, pictured here as a command sergeant major, but he was my first sergeant, um, as in like uh, an E7, E8, sorry, first sergeant later. Um, at my unit when I was in Germany at 466 Armor, he was the first sergeant for headquarters company. And when I landed there in 1988, I think he came like shortly after that. And he was about 40 years old, which is really old for the military, you know. I mean, he was like the old guy. He had gray hair and, you know, and all that. But um, he showed up to do PT with us in the morning. And our previous first sergeant didn't show up for PT. Um, He was an old guy, too, but he just liked to take it easy, you know, and didn't run with us and all that. And Jack Jones came out there and he led PT in the morning. And he said, we're going to go on a little run. I didn't know this, but this guy that was 20 years plus my elder at the time, I was probably 19, and, and here he was around 40. He took us on a little run that was like three times as what we were used to. And I was just dying, like trying to keep up with this guy. And slowly the company, like we, we lost a lot of people in the run that day. But I said, I don't want to, I'm not going to let this guy who's, 40 years old outrun me and I remember he would get way ahead of us and he'd be up front and he'd be encouraging the guys to keep going and keep going and keep going and I I could hear him I couldn't see him we'd run in the darkness of the morning you know and um, I, I could just hear my first sergeant up there and I'd say you know if that guy can run it I can run it and he encouraged me to keep going and keep doing that and he was that kind of guy. I, I really liked him. And, and he's still around. I, I'm on Facebook with him. And uh, he's retired now. Um, but he's one of those guys that just for a couple years out of my life, he was one of those men in my life that just motivated me in ways that I didn't think I could, I could do. And when I wanted to quit, I would think, listen, if he can run, I can do it. And he motivated me to keep doing it. And I think that's this whole idea of the doctrine of eternal security. It's like when we look ahead at Jesus, right? The author and finisher of our faith. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it goes on to say, for who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that. Jesus, our great forerunner, the one who is the true leader, who's gone on before, he paid the way for our salvation, he secures our salvation, and he's in the heavens today interceding and securing that forever. That's why we run the race. That's why we get back up and we repent of sin in our life and we follow him. 
not because we are in danger of losing it, but because we love him and want to serve him and are motivated by him. Let's be that kind of Christian. God, we are thankful tonight. And Lord, I I pray that tonight, that truly, Lord, we would lay aside the weight of sin and we'd run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, so that, Lord, we may continue to believe and be encouraged and move and, and, Lord, we will go wherever you call us. And, yea, even if it's in the valley of the shadow of death, We're reminded, Lord, we need not fear because you're with us. Oh, what a great truth that is. Help us to live in the light of that this week and lead others also. In Jesus' name, amen.